The world you and I live in is always putting forward political leaders, sports figures, actors and singers, business moguls, influencers, and holds them up as models, and we're all supposed to follow these people. But you and I, as children of God, march by a different drummer. We've chosen a different path. We're following a different person, and his name is Jesus. We're going to study the Gospel of Luke starting this morning. We'll go into the new year as well. And we're going to entitle it, The Footsteps of Jesus. I hope that as we carefully study and closely follow the footsteps of Jesus, that we will be more like him and learn more about him. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 13, I'd like to read this morning. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. Then he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence today and pray that God, your Holy Spirit, would use your precious word to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, today we're going to start uh, our series on the book of Luke with an introduction to the book and then a couple of birth announcements. First of all, notice is in verses 1 through 4, Luke introduces, and Luke happens to be the only Gentile who wrote books in the Bible. He wrote two volumes, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. If you take Luke and Acts together, actually there's more material there than any other uh, New Testament writer. Even though Paul wrote more books, the content of Luke and Acts is more than even what Paul wrote. Now, who is Luke? What's his identity? First of all, he's, he's no doubt an author wrote, writing these two books of Scripture. But you don't find Luke's name anywhere in the gospel. So how in the world do we know he wrote it? Well, we know that Paul talks about Luke in three different passages, Colossians 4.14, Philemon 24, and his last epistle in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, only Luke is with me. So Luke was Paul's companion. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll notice in some of those mission trips, the narrative says, we, meaning that the writer of Acts 
was with them on the missionary journey. We know that Barnabas was with Paul and Saul, uh, Saul was with him. But this is definitely Luke, the author. So Bible scholars and from the first century of the church has identified Luke as the author. He was also a physician. Colossians 4.14 identifies him as the beloved physician. He spent his time taking care of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you've followed Paul's life in the book of Acts, you'll notice he got into a lot of physical scrapes. As a matter of fact, probably if it wasn't for Luke to fix him up, there was probably Paul's life would have been much shorter. So Luke ministered to Paul's physical body, but Paul was ministering to the spiritual needs of Luke. He was also a historian. In verse 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them. Now, Luke wasn't an eyewitness of all of the events of Jesus' life, but he interviewed all of the eyewitnesses as he set it out to write to set in order a chronological history of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did extensive, thorough research, and he carefully investigated everything. And, of course, all of that with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so we have the events of Jesus' life. Now, Luke is different, just like all of the four accounts of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ are different. Luke has its own distinctives. He talks a lot about individuals that were there. He mentions people like Zachariah and Elizabeth we're looking at today, Mary and Martha, Zacchaeus, Cleopas, the woman who anointed, anointed Jesus' feet. Also, Luke deals a lot with women. First century uh, scholars and, and people basically neglected women. But we hear more names of women in Luke's gospel than any other gospel. Names like Mary and Anna, Joanna, Susanna, the wife, the widow of Nain, the widow who gave her all, her might to the Lord. So women figure prominently in Luke's gospel. And, and Luke also mentions babies and children a lot. Again, they're usually ignored by most writers. But Luke being a doctor, you know, he cared for babies and children. He gives a, the an extensive account of the birth of John the Baptist and also of the Lord Jesus. We see that Luke writes about the poor. He writes about shepherds who were really the poor people in that day. Jesus blessing the poor. He warns about the dangers of riches. Also speaks about parables of the rich fool, the unjust steward, the rich young ruler, and the widow's might. Now, Paul, uh, Luke is writing to a person by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus literally means friend, or not friend. Theophilus means lover of God. Now, most likely, this person was a Gentile nobleman who chose to convert to Christianity because he chose this name for himself probably when he got converted, lover of God. Theophilus. And Luke calls him most excellent Theophilus. Now, this is an uh, 
indicates that he was a Roman official because both Felix and Festus were addressed by Paul as the most excellent. So it's probably a title. But in Acts chapter 1, when it records um, in verse uh, 1, Acts 1.1, Paul doesn't use most excellent Theophilus. Perhaps, we don't know for sure, but perhaps because of his conversion to Christ, they took his title and his position away, but still Paul is writing this second epistle to him. So, uh, not Paul, but Luke. Luke is writing with the mind of a careful historian and the heart of a loving physician as we study this. And I'm looking forward to digging into it. So today we're going to look at two birth announcements. First of all, the birth announcement to Zacharias and verses 5 through 25. We need to get a little idea of the political conditions of the day. Notice in verse 5 it says, There was in the day of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Now, if you know anything about Herod, he was called Herod the Great, but he wasn't a very great person. As a matter of fact, you find out later in the story of the Lord Jesus, he's the one that had all those babies killed to get rid of his rivals, and that was something. Now, since the days of Malachi the prophet, the last of the Old Testament prophets, it's been 400 years when there's been no word from God. Malachi predicted the coming of Elijah. The spiritual leaders of that day were shackled by tradition, and some instances, corruption. Their king, Herod the Great, was a tyrant. He was a moral cesspool. He was terribly brutal and bloody. He didn't hesitate to kill whenever it served his purpose. He killed his competitors. He killed his enemies. He killed a number of the wealthy Jews and confiscated their wealth for his own coffers. He killed the babies, as we said before. Herod had nine wives. Some say he had ten, but he killed one of them. But if any of his wives got in his way or threatened his rule, they had their relatives were executed. A popular saying of the day was that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. See, this is just an idea of who and what kind of political climate was there. And Herod was supposed to be in the um, kind of the king of the Jews. Now, this didn't mention the, the Romans at all. Now we see the birth announcement. So this is the stage that was set, a wicked political intrigue, a terrible king of the Jews that was there. And then we see the birth announcement. Now, in the midst of all that darkness and corruption of the day, there were two radiant lights. And I find that God always has a remnant. No matter how dark it becomes, no matter how ungodly it becomes, no matter how wicked people are, God has his people who really love him. And two of these were a priest by the name of Zacharias and his wife, Elizabeth. They lived, they were godly, righteous people. You and I live in an age of darkness as well. Jesus has called you and I to be the light of the world where you are. What is your world? Maybe it's work, kind of shady jokes that they're telling there in the, in the office or at the factory. Maybe your world is your family. Maybe some of your relatives don't even live for the Lord. Maybe you're at school or in a club of some sort, and it's a pretty dark there. 
The Lord has called you and I, wherever we are, to be the light in that dark place. And Zacharias and Elizabeth were, were there. Now, let me tell you the story. In verse 12, then when Zacharias saw this angel, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also be before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and he, the disobedient to whom the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. Wow, what a blessing. The angel told Zacharias, you and your wife are going to have a son. He is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. You're going to make him a Nazarite. He's not going to drink any wine. He's not going to cut his hair. He's going to be a prophet of the Most High. He's going to pave the way for the coming of the Messiah. What a wonderful news to give to this godly, righteous priest. Now, Zacharias and Elizabeth were too old to have children. The Bible says that they were, in the King James, well stricken in age. Do you ever feel like that? <laughs> well, I like how it says stricken in age. You know, the, the Jews said 65 was getting old. 70 was said to be the hoary head. But if you got past 80, you were stricken. You were stricken with age. Well, Elijah... or. Um, Zacharias and Elizabeth, Zacharias hears this message of the wonderful thing of a miracle going to happen. And you know, you would think, well, this is an Abraham and Sarah type of thing. This is a Hannah and Elkanah type of thing. It's a miracle. What does Zacharias say? Notice his doubt in verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And my wife, well... She's well advanced in years, too. You've got to be very careful about talking about your wife and age and all that. But uh, just says, we're too old to have a baby. So that's the first thing out of his mouth. How in the world is this going to happen? You know, the angel's not very, very happy with Zacharias at this place. Now, the priests, having the, the privilege of burning incense... I mean, they had to draw lots. And if you were a priest, and there were like 24,000 of them priests at that time, and your number came up maybe once in a lifetime. What a, what a glorious privilege. And he goes into the temple in the evening sacrifice after, and he burns his in, incense on the altar, and standing right next to the altar is this angel that speaks to him. What a glorious privilege that he would have. Now, Luke mentions angels 23 times in his gospel. They're innumerable angels, as the scripture says, but only two that the Bible gives names to. What are those two? Gabriel and who else? Michael. Herald doesn't count. Well, the song says, hark the herald angels sings. So there's only two that are mentioned in the Bible. And you know this one? This one is Gabriel. If you were here last week when we were in Daniel chapter 9 and 10, guess who was there? 
Gabriel, 530 years later. That guy's pretty old. Well, yeah, he is, they, they never die, so they can, they can be there. 530 years, Gabriel is showing up. Now, every time that Gabriel spoke to Daniel, oh, yes, oh, you're a messenger of God. Anything you do is fine, Gabriel. And now, 500 years later, he's speaking to Zacharias, and Zacharias said, show me a sign, you know, give me a sign that this is going to happen. As a matter of fact, how shall I know this is actually saying to him, um, how will I know for sure that this is true? We're both old, my wife and I. Give me some kind of sign that it's true. I can imagine Gabriel is looking to him. You want a sign? I tell you, I will give you a sign. As a matter of fact, you're not going to be able to talk. Nine months, you will not be able to say a word. So, it was actually a rebuke for Zacharias's unbelief. He was questioning God's ability to fulfill his own word. Had he forgotten what God did through Abraham and Sarah, Hannah and Elkanah? Did he think that his physical limitations would somehow hinder the Almighty God? He could not speak until the child was born. He was mute. But before we criticize Zechariah's doubts of God's power, we do the same thing, don't we? God's told us we're his children. God says nothing shall separate us from the love of God. He says we're in the Father's hand and we're in Jesus' hand and no man is able to pluck us out. But how many times do we doubt? It says, uh, I'm really a lousy child of God. Maybe I'm not even saved. We doubt God's promises We doubt his presence when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Little boy was lost in the grocery store. And he was down one of the aisles of one of these super stores, these grocery stores. And he began to say, Mom, where are you? He began to feel that Mom had left him in the store all by himself. Had she decided that he was too much troubled to feed anymore? All he asked was for fruit snacks. Had she left the store to head home and forgot all about him? And then he told one of the checkers there, in the, one of the workers in the aisle, says, said, let's just see if we can find your mom. The man helped him. And the little boy said, we're not going to find her. He said, I've, I've looked all over the store and she's not gone. She's just here. She's gone. She's not here. And she... Has he ever, she ever left you accidentally anywhere before? No. Well, the, the man got on the intercom and says, in aisle 10, there's a little boy here looking for his mother. The mother appeared with a full cart around the corner of aisle 15. His baby sister was bouncing up and down in the seat of the car, sucking on a bottle and sporting a different outfit than she had when she entered the store. So you know what happened to the little boy. Honey, I asked you to follow me to the bathroom so I could change your sister. His mother looked down and hugged him. I thought you heard me. I looked around after I changed her and I didn't see you. I went back to the fruit snack aisle and you weren't there. His mom smiled. I forgot, the boy said. Honey, I never left you before and I will never leave you again. There's no reason to doubt. Sometimes we feel like that little boy lost in the grocery store thinking that God has abandoned us, thinking that we're 
aliens abducted our mother or something like that. We have those same doubts, and God has to rebuke us sometimes. Why do you doubt? Well, the second birth announcement, after Gabriel shows up and gives a birth announcement to Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're going to have a a boy, uh, and this John the Baptist will be great. There's a second birth announcement to Mary, verses 26 to 56. Now, let me read a little bit of this passage of Scripture, starting Luke 1, verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your woman and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no, no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? The angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is be born shall be called the Son of God. Wow. What do we know about Mary? She was a Jewess of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, a virgin. She was engaged to a carpenter in Nazareth named Joseph, and apparently both of them were poor. Since Jewish girls married Young, it's likely that Mary was a teenager when the angel appeared to her. Now, when the visit by the angel Gabriel, she has a a little bit more of a reception than Zacharias did, but she asks, how can this be since I do not know a man? And then, of course, the angel says, the Holy Spirit, this is going to miraculous birth. So in this passage of Scripture, we have so many truths about the Lord Jesus Christ coming out. First of all, he was born of a virgin. So the sin did not pass down through him. He was sinless. Also, we find that he was not only a human, the son of man, he was called the son of God. So his deity, his humanity, the virgin birth, and his sinlessness are all part of that. And then, of course, the angel tells Mary when she asks, how can this be? Verse 37 is a powerful verse. For with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. All through the Scripture, we find a repetition of that concept in Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Job 42, 2, I know that you can do anything. Mark 14, 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Luke 18, 27, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And Jesus said to him in Mark 9, 23, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. The angel tells Mary, you're going to be part of a miracle. You're going to have the Son of God. Well, Mary visits Elizabeth, 
And then Mary gives praise to God. We'll look at Mary's praise to God next week. Today, as we celebrate births, I, I think they do it a little bit different. They have, uh, instead of sending out cards and things, they have what's called a gender reveal party. Any of you ever been to one of those? Maybe your grandchild or your, your kids had some, uh, a baby and you went there and they, they, they figure out whether it's pink or blue. And uh, I remember uh, a year ago, last not this summer, but summer before, there was a gender reveal party out, out in California that started a forest fire. Uh, the El Dorado forest fire was just a devastating because it was a, a involved pyrotechnics or something like that. So be careful at the gender reveal parties. But this party, this birth announcement was by angels. And the angel Gabriel was the guest of honor telling what was going to happen, what they're going to have, a little boy. What can we learn from these birth announcements? First of all, God always has his remnants and wants us to be light in the darkness. Is the place where you live, the people you're around, the job, the dark place, instead of being part of that darkness... Jesus has given us a job. You are the light of the world. You don't have to be a bright light. Even a candle can be seen, as long as we don't put it under a bushel. So wherever you are, be that light, like Zacharias and Elizabeth in this this world of Herod and all of the, the hard, cold religiosity that is there. He was genuine. He was the light. Another application. Nothing is impossible with God. Don't doubt his promise. Don't doubt what God has told you. You make sure that you believe his word. And then I look at Mary. When she was overwhelmed, just this teenage girl was overwhelmed with this this responsibility. You know, she, she responded with, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Is God asking you to do something? Is God giving you a job? Is God trying to make you or stir you to make a step? Just do it, Mary. Let it be to me according to your word.